Can I just, uh, I want to declare this morning that I believe in the vision of Flow Church. Please know and please, please, please know in your heart that it is not a vision that I conjured up from my desires or my will, but it is a vision that I believe God spoke into my life in 2012 when he told me to go and impact Europe. And the way he wanted to do that through us was to build a base, a big, strong, healthy church here in Staines that would flow out into Europe. And I just want to say really openly and really honest with you, really honest with you I've, I fully believe in that vision. I've had doubts. I've had questions. Why, why, why do we have to go? I know some of you have had the same questions. Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that? And I definitely had those questions in my head, and I've been battling those for four years as God has been wrestling in me. I was a youth pastor. I was leading a great youth ministry. We had hundreds, literally hundreds of teenagers coming to our youth event, getting saved, being delivered of demons, being healed. Uh, we were sending them out on all kinds of things and trips. And the Lord spoke to me and said, right, I'm going to send you to Europe. And my first trip was to Albania. Of all the places to go in Europe, Albania is not on the top of my list. And uh, the biggest export for, crime, uh, for Albania is crime at the moment. So well done them. And uh, God sent me there. And I remember going there, speaking at a youth event that we started there, and the presence of God fell on that place so much, I cannot even comprehend it. And actually, I had to show you pictures of it, but the young people were just all over the floor, just with the Lord. And I knew then that I had to do as I'd been told, not what I would like. And going to Portugal again, putting my feet back on mainland Europe, we are still in Europe as England, a Portuguese guy did tell me that, the Uber driver. And, uh, and I was there, and I was questioning myself. Can I be real with you? You cast a vision as a leader, and you get so excited about casting it. Once you've cast it, you hear all the feedback, and then you start to question it. Just being real with you, is that okay? And uh, as I got there, I was like, this is an explore trip. Our aim was just to explore. And I was thinking, that just sounds like a jolly. That just sounds like a holiday. And not only that, but I brought 20s with me, and... You know, we're just young and we're just walking around Lisbon together. And you just start to think, God, why am I here? What are you doing? Are you sure this is right? I, I fear, can I be real with you? I start to fear the judgment of others. Anybody else do that? Oh, don't leave me hanging, guys. Come on, support your pastor. Thank you. I started to fear the judgment of others. I started to be worried about when the guys would post on Instagram. What does it look like? Does it just look like we're on holiday? This is hard work. And how are we portraying it, how are we portraying it. But I tell you, I tell you, I tell you, the presence of God breathed on us so much. I found it so easy to just do the will of God while I was in Portugal. And I want to be real with you. I fully believe in our vision. And I believe if we do not get out there, we're actually being disobedient to what God has asked. The presence of God fell on us so much. We would simply, and I, when Ben tells those stories, anyone else like hearing those stories? Yeah. Anyone else gets scared hearing those stories, thinking he's going to make me do that one day? I promise you, it is not as intimidating as it sounds. It was so easy, so natural. The conversation just began, and before we knew it, we had people standing there giving their life to Jesus Christ. Guys, I, I don't know if you understand. <laughs> their life to Jesus, in like... If you added our time with them together, you are talking like half an hour of time. And this one guy, you might just think, well, that's just, 
Maybe it's naive. Maybe it's just a quick. No, you should have seen Vazim, the guy with the hair like that. He, he, was, he was in tears as he shared with me how he felt so much shame in his life for the bad things he had done. And I said to him, God can forgive you right here, right now. And tears streamed down his face as he learned this truth for the first time. And then we stood there together in the middle of a square in Lisbon. And I thought, maybe, just maybe, this is why God sent me. Isn't that just like Jesus? Isn't it? Isn't that just like Jesus to leave the 99 and go wandering into the rocks and the cliffs and climbing up and down just to find the seam? Isn't that just like Jesus? And I'm thankful that's just like Jesus because that's how Jesus found me. Jesus happened to put me in a great family that taught me about God, and I consider that just as much favor as Vazim had. God does that for every single one of us. And not only that, but I love the fact you might say, well, we can do that while we're here in Staines. Well, yes, we can, and we did the week before. We baptized seven people here. We baptized them seven. That's come from Brian, people. I love it. But seriously, think about this. Think about it. I am gobsmacked. I sat with a pastor recently. He, uh, he leads a church in Ascot, and he's a friend of mine, and I was chanting about his church. How is it going? And he said, yeah, we're getting about two. They just moved to Ascot race courses. You know, they've just stepped up in that way, and they're getting 200-odd people going. And he said to me, how's yours going? I said, yeah, we're about to baptize seven people. And he was like, what? And he's like, how long have you been going? I was like, well, about five months, something like that. And he was like, what? And he said, we've only baptized two people in the last year. Now, that's not a reflection on them. That's a reflection on what God is doing here. You understand? God is breathing here, and then he's sending us into Europe to be able to go and do the same. I want us to be excited about it. I want us to be on board. Please, I know know that means, you hear me? Are you still with me? This is my intro. I know, I know, I know maybe not every single one of you get on a plane and go to Europe. I know that. I'm not looking for that action in particular. What I'm looking for is a heart that says we will sacrifice for the benefit of our brothers and sisters in Europe. That's what I'm looking for. While we were there, we prayed, got up one morning, we prayed because we were struggling to get in contact with local churches. And it turns out there's not as many as you would like to have in a capital city. And uh, I got so tempted just to plant, but we'll, we'll talk about that another day. Liam has to control himself. And I prayed and we prayed in the morning for a contact for a church in Lisbon, and we were trying so hard to get it, and prayed in the morning, and then I got a Facebook message from a friend of mine, of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, and they sent me a Facebook message saying, Liam, I know a musician in Portugal that I think you should connect with. Haven't heard from this guy from ages, so I just said, okay, sure, send me a number and I'll see what happens, and then this Guy sent me a number, and I messaged the musician guy, and I said, hey, can I, can I come meet up with you? And he said, sure, I'm only free between this time and this time. Come and meet me at this address. And we get in the Uber, and we drive, and we drive, and we drive, and we're in the middle of sub- suburb of Portugal, and me and Jack get out the Uber, and we have no idea where we are. And we're looking around, and we have no idea where we are. We knock on the door that he's, and he's not there. So we're starting to think, okay, we're, not, we're in completely in the wrong place. The guy then calls us, says, I'm just around the corner. He comes around the corner. We meet with him. He walks into this house, which turns out to be a music studio. And he's a music producer for all kinds of Christian artists. It's cool, isn't it? All kinds of Christian artists. Has an incredible studio. Maria, you would love it. And an incredible studio. And then he takes us around, and we go out for dinner with him and his wife. And he says to me, 
tell me, tell me about your church. So I start telling him about the heart that we have for missions. And he says, oh, he said, this is so weird. You need to meet my pastor. I said, why? He says, my pastor is all about missions. And I was like, sounds like my kind of guy. And he calls the guy up and he says, are you free? And he says, I'm not free. And he said, well, I'm with a young pastor here and he's all about missions. So the pastor said, right, if he's all about missions, that's it. My diary's free. I'll put him in. How cool. I've got to remember this when I'm older because I feel like I'm going to have to do the same. And uh, I went to see this guy. It turns out this guy is the president of the AOG network for churches in Lisbon and Portugal. Oversees all the churches in an AOG network in Portugal and is looking at planting loads of churches to go into the inland of Portugal. So closer to Spain. And uh, he has this big passion and big heart for missions. And he gives us all this time where he shares with us. He's an old school kind of preacher. It's, it's, it just felt a bit like 90s. And I think it was really cool. And he just prayed for us, prayed a blessing on us. And I just thought, thank you, Jesus. And if I could flow this into my message for this morning. When I left that place, I started to feel an overwhelming sense of the call that God had had for our lives. Anybody ever felt that before? An overwhelming sense, you know. Some, have anyone, you ever been there? You pray for so long for a call from God. You pray so long for, an, for a, like an idea of what God wants you to do. And then suddenly it comes and it's so big and so massive. You're thinking, there's, there's no way I can do that. Because I started to think, I could, dedicate, I could dedicate our whole church to just focusing on Portugal. And even if we spent our lifetime focusing on Portugal, would we really make a difference? There's 48 districts in Portugal that have no evangelical church. We could plant 48 churches in Portugal. Anyone want to go? So I start to leave, and I start to pray to God. I'm like, God, I, I don't know if we can do this. We're just like 100 people on a Sunday. Like, we don't have the money yet. We have none of this stuff. And I was just praying and praying and praying, and I'm sure you'll know where I'm going with this because I started to pray, feeling an overwhelming sense of what God had called us to do. And God was like, Liam, you can't do this. You can't. Even us can't. We can't. But God can. Like, God can. God can. God can. God can do that, not only in Portugal, but he can use us to breathe into all kinds of nations all over Europe. He can. He 100% can. He took five loaves and two fishes, and he fed like close to, you know, 10,000 people, they reckon. 5,000 men, as was recorded. Jesus can. He can absolutely do the impossible. God can absolutely do it. And I just felt this sense rising in me of God being able to do the impossible. And I don't know how it looks yet, but I want to declare a vision for us again. That says, I see one day for us that every single one of us might be on the same plane. I see us landing in a country. I see us splitting into different teams. I see this team go into the schools. I see this team go into the prisons. I see this team go into the hospitals. I see that team go into local churches. And I see them going to declare the good news of Jesus and leading so many people just like Fazim to Christ right there, right then. And then I see us gathering together, bringing all these people together to worship God in that nation, to speak and break something over the nation that says, this is now a believing nation. I see it. I see cities impacted in the matter of weeks. I have no idea how we do it. 
I have no idea. Did we really make such an impact in Lisbon? I'm not really sure, but I'll tell you one thing we did. We led some people to Christ, and that is an impact. But I believe a day will come when we will be hundreds here, thousands here, and we will get on a plane together. We'll get the A380, even though they're not making it anymore. We'll, we'll rent one. And we'll pile ourselves on it and we'll land and we will preach the gospel to these people. And you'll be able to say you were there. You'll be able to say you held the hand of the refugee. And you prayed with them. You did it. Not, not Liam, not my pastor, not Emily, not the superstars, whatever you might think. It's not about that. This is about every single one of us joining together to, to build the kingdom of God. And if you're worried about it and if you're concerned about it and if it brings up some stuff in your heart, can I say to you, do not worry. God has already asked you to do impossible things before, and he's always come through. God is actually in the business of making you do the impossible. Turn to someone next to you say, you can do the impossible. I feel like a flow here. I'm going to go with this. Is this okay? Are you with me still? You can do, God loves to get you to do the impossible. How do I know this? Well, in Matthew 10, he gathers his disciples together and he gathers them around each other and he says, look guys, I want you to go out and I want you to heal the sick. Not pray so that I may heal the sick. I want you to heal the sick in my name. I want you to raise the dead in my name. How many of you know that is impossible? You, you will think it, you're like, Liam, we're Christians, we, we know this, we're good. How many of you know it's impossible? God asks you to do, okay, don't believe me on that one, try this one. Matthew 5, Jesus actually says, quote of Jesus Christ himself, you now should be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Anyone there yet? God literally says to you in the Sermon of the Mount, he says, you must now be perfect. It is absolutely impossible for you. It's impossible for you to heal the sick. It's impossible for you to raise the dead without Christ. But Christ is in the business of getting you and I to do absolutely impossible things. You're thinking about your family right now? Yes, your family can all be together at church worshiping God. Yes, your family can be baptized in the name of Jesus because God wants to do an impossible thing through you. Yes, a nation may be impacted by you. Uh, that one's harder, a bit harder to believe, right? It could be. I had no idea that I was going to meet the president of the AOG Networks. He said, every time you come over, let us know. We will bless you and we will look out for you and we'll look after you. I'm just thinking, man, that's incredible. I had no idea who this guy even was before I went, but God can open up a door to give you a place of influence when he decides it's right for you. God can do the impossible through you. Molly, believe it. I mean it. Believe it for your life. You can impact a nation. Not you, really. You understand that. It's Christ through you. He can. You can pray for one person that prays for one person that multiplies, and they keep praying, and they keep praying. Before you know, you've blessed hundreds and thousands. You might one day stand up and preach to hundreds in another nation. I believe it for you. God can do the impossible through you. 
why does God do the impossible? Why, 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 why does it work like this? Why does God set us absolutely impossible tasks? God sets us impossible tasks because he wants you to know that you cannot do it without him. He does not want you to get to the end of your life and be able to say, I did it. You hear me on this? God doesn't want you to get to the end of your life and say, I did it. In my strength, in my power, by my will, by my intelligence, I did it. No, God wants to be able to say, I did it through you. you want, he wants you to be, go up to God and say, God, you did it. This is why with Gideon, you know the story of Gideon? Gideon has 300,000, is it 300,000? No, it's not 300,000, is it? He has a lot of men. How many? Is it 30? Everyone's looking at me like, ah, uh, don't say anything. He had a lot of men. And God whittled it down to 300 men to fight 120,000. And how many the Midianites had? 300 versus 120,000. Why, God? Why would you do it like that? That makes no logical sense. It does if you are God, because God is saying, I want you, Gideon, to believe that I did it through you. If you have any belief that you can do it under your own strength and will, you will start to replace me. I did it. God puts impossible tasks on the, your life, impossible destinies ahead of you, so that you would believe 100% that God has worked through your life. So that you would have no other idol apart from God. That you would not worship your intelligence, you would not worship your, your confidence, you would not worship your wits, or you would not worship the organization you are part of, you would worship simply God. God wants to do impossible things through you. If God can defeat 120,000 with 300, if God can change the known world with 12, he can impact Europe through us. But if you want to get there, God has to move through you more and more in your life every day. Your thought pattern has to become more and more centered around Christ every day. The words that you speak have to be Christ-centered words more and more every day. The behavior you demonstrate has to be more and more Christ every day. Let me put it like this. If you want to be somebody who allows God to work through your life to do the impossible, you must be less of you, more of God. In fact, I would go to the extreme to say you must die to yourself. You actually have to die to yourself and allow Christ to live through you. And then when you do that, Christ can breathe as he wants to breathe. He can move as he wants to move. It's about letting Christ move through you. Are you good? Are you with me? Less of me, more of him. Less of me, more of him. I limit him, he increases me. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we do that? It's very simple. You and I change. You and I, we change. We change. We put on new things. We remove old things. We change. The old self that died when we gave our life to Christ still clings to us. We must now detach it, get the chains off, get the fear off us address the insecurity in our life, address the fear in our life, change the way we talk, change the way we believe about others, change, change the way we treat our parents, our kids. We change people. We become more like Christ. This is what this sermon series has all been about. 
Eden education. You and I have got to change so that Christ can move through us. I'll give you a little brain break. I feel like this, this, this came really heavy, didn't it? Let's get our Bibles turned to Genesis chapter 3. Have you been enjoying this sermon series? Come with Mandy, I have to say, I thought you preached sensationally last week. Yeah. you got a great gift. And then you sing this morning with that sweet voice, and it's just multi-talented. It's in the family, Dave. <laughs> From Mandy's dad there at the I want to read a passage to you, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden together, and I just want to unpack some of the things that really stop us changing. Yay, that'll be fun, won't it? And then I want us to talk about the big solution to it all. That's my plan for this morning. I hope that stays with you. I hope it helps you. Please try and smile at me. Uh, not only does that help me, but it actually releases endorphins to your body, so I promise you'll enjoy the preach more if you smile. Can we get the Bible verse on the screen? That'd be great. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I, I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat. The man said, well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, well, well, actually the serpent deceived me and I ate. And that's it. That's it. That's how it ends. Um, in this passage, what you see is Adam and Eve, they've just disobeyed God. They've just got it wrong. They've just eaten of the fruit of God, and now they're in a situation where they are running, they are hiding, and they are blaming. And I'll tell you guys, we are called to a life of change. However, how many of you would be honest and open enough with me this morning, because I want to go on this journey together, to admit that when we know something in our character needs to be changed, we often run, we often hide, and we very often blame. Brian's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we run. We run and we hide from God. I do not understand how we get to a place where we literally try and hide from the very person who created us. What kind of crazy person are we that we actually run from the very source of love? We run away from his presence. We hide ourselves from him. How, well, how do we get there, people? How do we get to a place where we think, oh, you know what, I, just, I can't go to church this morning. I don't want to face this issue. I don't want to wrestle with this. I don't want to go and pray because I know it's going to bring up this stuff. I know what I'm doing is wrong, and I know that God's going to talk about it, and I don't want to deal with it. How do we get to this place where we actually remove ourselves from the presence of God? It literally blows my mind. Can we just be honest? Let's, let's, let's pray and hope for a church that this is the place where people come when they feel like they have messed up. May church be the place they run. 
That's what I want. I want, I, want the, I want the drug dealer to come in and go, oh, man, I've just messed up. I've just been dealing drugs. It's okay. Come on in. This is it. This is the place you're supposed to be. How many people have ever said to you, oh, I can't come to church. You know, I'm not, I'm not really ready for that. And what they're saying is, I haven't sorted me out yet. I haven't sorted me out yet. I haven't got myself ready to approach God yet. No, do you not, do you not get it? You can never really sort yourself out. So even if you saw yourself out a bit and you come before God, he's going to still have to sort out some other stuff. So just bring it all before him. Let me put it like this. You don't go into the shower clean. That's why I always try and tell people. People do this with me about baptisms. Oh, you know, I'm just not, I, I feel like there's some things I've got to deal with and process. No, no, do you not get it? Get yourself in the presence of God. Get yourself under the shower. He is where you get clean. You don't get clean by you. Why do we get to this place where we run and we hide from God? I do not understand. Please, I beg you, if you sin during the week and you come into church on a Sunday and you come and lay down on the floor and you repent before God and give it all to him, I will be the first one to clap you. Can we, can we stop this, this Christianity that's like the mask Christianity? Can we please, please stop pretending that we, we got it all together? Yeah, no, we're at church. It's okay, just, yeah, keep smiling. This is my acting skills coming through, yeah. Can we just come to church and say, this is what I need to deal with today. This is what I need to open up, this is what I need to process today. And can we, the, one of the reasons I think people struggle to come to church when they feel like they are in wrong is because they actually feel this is the house of judgment. We may not, we know better. How many people think God is angry at them? And they think we're now the uh, spokesman. We are the headmasters for God. We're going to call them into the office and tell them off and all the things they've done wrong. I, I, this is the place of healing. This is the place where we understand. This is the place where we go, you know what, mate? We're broken too. Come on in. Come and sit down. Doesn't matter what you're wearing. Doesn't matter how you smell. Doesn't matter what you've been smoking, what you've been drinking. Just come and sit yourself in the presence of the Lord. I don't mind even if you're dressed as somebody of the opposite sex. You are welcome to come and sit down on this chair and be in the presence of the Lord. Every single person has a right to the presence of God. And for that to happen, when someone walks through the door, they're going to have to walk through all of us to be able to go and sit here. So every single one of us need to demonstrate what God demonstrated to us. And we need to say, welcome in. Welcome in. You want to see, come and sit next to me. You're, you're now my friend. You're now part of my life. You're now part of my family. Not just a friend on a Sunday. You're not just a friend on a Sunday. We're now friends. We're not Sunday friends. What happens in your life now matters to me. We need to create an environment, people, where people are allowed just to come in. I know why, though. We, we fear the exposure, right? We fear the exposure. We fear the nakedness. don't know if that term makes you uncomfortable or whatever, but we fear the nakedness before God. We feel the vulnerability. We fear it. We fear God opening up our whole life and having others see it. We fear coming forward to the front just in case God really does work in our life and then we look a bit like a mess. When was the last time you came forward for a call? Trust me, when Pastor K comes to town in July the 7th, I'm just telling you that to get in your diary, 
I'm going to go. Whatever call he makes, I'm there. Because he carries something I want. Let's get ourselves open before God. I know we fear the exposure. We fear what others are going to say. We fear what others might do. And so what happens with the exposure is instead of stepping into the exposure, we step into it enough that we're there, but we sew fig leaves and loincloths on us to protect the parts we don't want other people to see. God, I don't, I'll be in your house, I'll be in your presence, but I'm going to wear some certain things to keep me covered. Now, I know, I know you can't just, well, no, maybe you can. I was just about to say, no, you can't just come in walking in, weeping every week, but actually maybe you can, and maybe you need to. So you might think, I have to wear my mask to sort of a social level. Do we? I'm just correcting myself in my own preach. Do we? And when you come in, do not fear the nakedness of it. Do not feel like you have to sew up leaves of justification. You don't have to sew up leaves to protect yourself. You don't have to say, well, this is why I didn't, this is why I disobeyed God. This is why I didn't do what God said this week. How many of us do that? You know, we we know that we're wrong, but instead of just facing it, we start to justify why we had to do it. God, I couldn't obey you this week because if I did, that person would not like me. And I know, God, that you want people to like me, so therefore I didn't do it. God, if I obeyed you this week, I might have lost my job. Or maybe, God, I, I, I had to tell that person what I was thinking. I had to tell them like that because that's just who I am, and I'm an honest, straight-shooting, straight-speaking type of person. So I'm sorry, I just had to say it because that's just who I am. Justify the way that we behaved. God, it's been a tough week. It's, God, come on, man. It's been a tiring, tough week. I needed that comfort. I needed to watch that. I needed to drink that. I needed to, to eat that. Whatever it is for you, I'm not trying to... Point anyone out, whatever it is for you. I had, I had to do it. I, God, I, I needed the comfort. And you realize all of these things, now I'm saying them like this, you realize how insignificant they are compared to God, right? God's like, I can be all the comfort you need. You're supposed to obey me, because if you don't obey me in front of others, the Bible says I cannot honor you in front of my Father. That's a challenging Bible verse. Just read Matthew 10. It's one of the challenging chapters. We saw on these leaves of justification. God, there's a reason why I have to hide. God, I have responsibility here. Can I be real with you about my life? God, I have responsibility here. I'm meant to be a leader. So if I come forward, man, I I can't just worship you and my tears will run down my face because I'm supposed to be representing. I'm supposed to be here for people. No, no. I can come and I can be broken just like everyone else. I have another responsibility at the end of the day, but I am allowed to come and be broken for the presence. Everyone has the same right to the presence of God. And then when God continues to walk in the cool of the day and he brushes the trees and you hear the sound of the Lord coming, what really upsets me is that becomes a fear sound to Adam and Eve. How upsetting is that? Worship becomes a fearful noise. The alarm on a Sunday morning becomes a fearful noise. Oh, got to face it again. Gotta. It just upsets me that Adam and Eve had this idea that they were now afraid of God, not in fear of God. There's a difference. They were afraid of God for him to show up. And then when God confronted them, Adam had to face it and say, God, well, you're everywhere. And actually, God, you know all the things I've done wrong. So I can't really hide that long. You can try, and he will honor your hiding. 
by saying, where are you? Even though he knows. And then Adam does what I think (laughs) is really true for every single one of us. Do you notice what he does? Blames his wife. (laughs) Do you notice that? Uh, Well, God, and what I love is he even says, God, the woman that actually you gave me, so really, God, come on. It's kind of you, mate. I'm, you know, you gave her to me. I'm just trying to deal with her. Passes the blame to Eve. What I love is God still honors this immature train of thought. And he then goes to Eve and says, well, Eve, Adam's blaming you. What about you? She said, well, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. Adam, this wasn't my fault. It's the serpent that deceived me. Ah, good. Instead of blaming yourself, let's just blame the enemy. We can blame everything on the enemy, can't we? Oh, I sinned this week. Oh, the enemy just tempted me so much. Or did you just go to the wrong place? Did you just go to the bar when you know you shouldn't be there? Did you hang around with the wrong people when you know they're only going to corrupt your character? Oh, God, it's the serpent's fault. We play the blame game. And this is a great way of avoiding your own change in your life. God, it wasn't me. It was my upbringing and the way that they've trained me. If I was brought up differently, then I would act differently now. God, if I was brought up in church and I'd be able to know the things I need to know right now, God, I blame my circumstances. I blame this. I blame that. Instead of just saying, you know what, God, even in all of those things, you are bigger than all of them. I could have still just been with you. Let me dig in the knife for the last little deeper bit and then I'll pull it back out and I'll cover the wound. Very often, the reason we blame others is because what they demonstrate, we actually hate in ourselves. Sigmund Freud called it projection. What I hate in you is actually what I'm hating in myself. Let me be really challenged with you this morning. The issue you have with your brother and sister in Christ It's very often an issue with you. How do I know this biblically? I'll prove it to you biblically. Eve blamed the serpent for what? Deception. What did Eve herself do to Adam? She deceived him. She ate of the fruit first and then made her husband do it. Now, he has his own right and he has his own responsibility, but she was deceptive in her nature. She could have cut it off and said, Adam, I've sinned. Run away from me. Get away from me until the Lord has dealt with me. She could have done that. Adam could have also turned away and run away. So there's a responsibility on Adam. Please don't get me wrong. But what I'm trying to say is that she was angry at the serpent for deceiving when she herself deceived. This is a real challenge to us. You know the whole thing of when you point one finger, you've got three pointing back? It's this. What we struggle in with others is often what we're struggling with in ourselves. It's not a surprise to me that the young people that used to annoy me the most when I was a youth pastor were those that were proud. I had to wrestle with that in myself. And I actually had to remind myself that I probably gave them permission to be proud because I was proud. So I tried to then give them more focus and more time to help them go through what I had to go through. Let me give it to another way. Jesus says it like this. Jesus says, um, before you remove the speck of dust from somebody else's eye, Matthew 7 verse 5, remove the plank of wood from your own. By the way, this is a joke from Jesus. Historians reckon that this was a joke. Jesus needs to work on his humor. It's fine. 
Someone told me that. I was like, that does not sound funny. But apparently that would have been hilarious. Just to let you know. Remove the speck of dust from your own before. uh, Remove the plank of wood from your own before you have to remove the speck of dust from somebody else's. God is trying to say, look, guys, instead instead of running, instead of hiding, instead of blaming, just let me work on you. If I can work on you and every single one of us works on ourselves and we all just spend time working on ourselves, being self-aware, challenging behaviors, patterns, thoughts, whatever, and we continue to do that throughout the whole of our lives with a consistent discipline and obedience, then I'll tell you what, this church will be incredible. My job will be a lot easier. Jokes, you guys are great. But if we all just did that, what kind of church could we have? If we all did that, maybe we could actually impact Europe. Because if we send a whole bunch of people that weren't looking to pass the blame or anything like that, but were constantly willing to change and grow in Christ, if we all went into Europe, I bet you we would have such an impact. Okay, I'll pull the knife out. Let me put some calming aloe vera on the wound. How do, we, how, do we, how do we cope with all of this stuff? How do we cope with all this stuff? Well, at the start of this passage, something very beautiful was said, which I think we could read past and miss very easily. But it's actually a very big secret to like, the whole of this story. And the start of the passage, sorry, Matt, can I have the passage? It says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the what? The cool of the day. Now, when I read that, I'm the kind of guy right now, when I'm reading past the Bible, I'm like, why is that word in there? If I know Jesus, there's, there's always a reason why there's in there. And trust me, if you, t- if you go down that line, you can find some fascinating things out about the Bible. This is not in there by accident. What I love first was well, they heard the sound of the Lord God. There was a physical sound in the garden of the presence of God. And he was then walking to them in the cool of the day. Why is this so interesting? Well, the cool of the day can literally be translated, literally be translated, as the wind of the day. The wind of the day. Now the wind, if you know your Bible well enough, in Acts 2 and then again in John 3, the wind is a representation of the Spirit of God. So it's not necessarily that he was walking in a physical body, but his presence was walking with a sound. And in Acts 2, the same thing happens. The Holy Spirit falls on the disciples with a sound. There is a trembling, a, a sound that shakes the house. Right now, the, sh- the sound of the presence of God has fallen in the Garden of Eden. They know God is near. And the wind, of the, sp- the wind of God is walking in the cool of the day, in the wind of the day. Now, the day at this point, I want you to understand that whenever the, bi- the, word, the Bible uses the word day, it's talking about the light. In Genesis 1.5, you can see a bit where God says, this is what I call, I'm going to call the light day. I'm going to call the light day. I'm going to call the light day. The wind of the light. The spirit of light. God is walking towards you in the spirit of light. I've come to reveal things. I have come to take that which is hidden and show them up. Please hear me. God has not come as uh, as God has not come to bring peace, but as a sword. Matthew ten tells us, "I have come to reveal things. I've not come to be civil. 
Let's talk about English behavior. I've not come to be civil. I've come to do my will. I've come as the light to reveal where you need to change. I come as the light. John 3, Jesus says, Man who do evil deeds fear the light and love the darkness because they fear their evil deeds being exposed. Who is he talking to? He's talking to us. We, even though we're believers, still do evil deeds. And I know that's such a horrible word to say over our life, but please hear me. We know we all get things wrong, yes? And we fear the light because that may get revealed. Let us be a people that says, you know what? When the spirit of light comes, I go running towards it. If you want the solution to all this, it's very simple. Get yourself in the presence of God. Sit in the light. Because then even if the enemy attacks you, the light can make it flee. In fact, there is a passage in Song of Songs. can't remember it. But it says that uh, when the light comes of the bridegroom, darkness flees. If you spend your life in the light of God, darkness has to flee from you. It will try and attack you, and it will have to flee. I love the fact that when the the armor of God in Ephesians 6 talks about the flames of the arrows of the evil one, I love the fact that he has to have a distant weapon. He's not allowed near me. He has to fire something from far away. He has to use somebody else. He has to use some other organization. He can't come at me. I'm sitting in the light. My friends, let us be a church that stays in the light. If you feel negative thoughts in your mind, if you feel gossip arising in your heart coming out of your mouth, if you feel a depression clogging your mind, if you feel a lack of faith and a doubt for what you know God wants to do in you, if you start to feel a temptation to go back to old sinful ways and sinful habits, please do what Adam and Eve did not do and run to the spirit of light. Just get yourself with God, because let me tell you, God is so loving and so caring that he will reveal it, he will remove it, and then out of your fear of exposure, he will clothe you again. He clothed Adam and Eve again. I find that fascinating. Why didn't you just leave them naked? Because God knows us. Now, I'm not saying God's trying to make your life comfortable but he is trying to protect you. He understands how much you can handle right now. Adam and Eve could not handle full restoration back to their old self right there and right then. And you cannot handle it in one moment, I promise you. That's why God does it bit by bit to get you back to a place where when you get to heaven, your body will be as it should be and I promise you we'll all be naked. Don't worry, you have a new body by then so you don't need to work on yours, it's fine. We're getting ourselves back to a place of where we should be. And God will be calm with you on that journey. God's not looking to grab you like the Pharisees did and caught the woman in adultery. He's not looking to throw you before the throne room. 
He's not looking to go, here she is, here's what she's done. That's not the God that we serve. God is a calm, loving Father who wants to walk step by step with you on this journey as you reveal more of yourself. Let him deal with it and walk you in the light. But please, oh please, oh please, do not walk the other way. Do not hide from God and please do not blame somebody else. Let us trust God. Let's trust God. I'm going to go on that journey, guys. Emily and I are going to go on that journey. We have been for years, but we're going to continue on it. Because I believe God wants to do impossible things through us. So I will change every bit that I need to. Joshua 3.5, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow I will do amazing things, the Lord says. Consecrate yourself change, set apart, be holy, stop acting like you and act like Jesus. Consecrate yourself for tomorrow God will do amazing things amongst you. Please hear me on this. Please do not. I know I've been going on. I know I've been talking for a long time. I know, I know, I know. But please do not dismiss my words. Do not dismiss my words because hear me on this. That Bible passage, Joshua 3, 5, it says God will do amazing things amongst you tomorrow. Let me, hear, let me say this. God will do amazing things through Flow Church tomorrow. He is today and he will do tomorrow. Please consecrate yourself. Otherwise, you will actually miss out. You will miss out. Make yourself holy before the Lord so that God can use you on that journey. Do not be Adam and Eve and be hidden away when the presence of God comes. Do not be like so many people right now and you're just out there living your life when God is doing amazing things in and through the church. Be someone that says, I am in it. I'm in the spirit of light. I'm in the house. I'm going to be there. God, when you do amazing things, I'm going to be the first one to sign up. And I will change whatever I need to change in order for me to be able to do that. So if I go to sign up and God says, work on your patience, fine. I'll work on my patience and I'll come straight back. Do you know the Bible, t- uh, I'm going, but I feel an anointing. Can I go? <laughs> so tricky. How do you say no to that? We'll figure out a way you can say no to that in the future. Do you know the Bible talks a lot about an immediacy to dealing with sin? It's fascinating to me. I don't think we have the same attitude. Do you know the Bible says in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says if you actually have a wrong thing with your brother or sister, if there's a tension between you, if there's something that needs to be resolved, he says before you come and bring your offering before the Lord, deal with it. Think about that. Imagine that was like imagine what that was like every Sunday. We'd have to have a pre-service for everyone to deal with their stuff in order to come and before you put your contactless payment in, you have to go hang and say, I have to go and chat to that person. There's an immediacy to it. Jesus says in another passage, he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Mandy preached on that so well last week. If, if your left hand causes you to sin, cut it off. There's an immediacy to it. Don't, don't get trapped in. Sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Always. You think, oh, it's just this one time. No, trust me, it ain't. As soon as you let it in, it will become a virus into your life. There's an immediacy to sin. And there's got to be immediacy to us in the way that we approach it. In the way that we go about this thing, if I ever feel low, if I ever feel that the things of the enemy kind of creep into my life, I'm going to get myself in the spirit of light as quick as I can. Now, the good news for us is that you don't need to do that on a Sunday morning. You can do that in your car. You can do that. You can call up a friend. 
and say, I need to be in the spirit of light. Maybe this is the language you use. I need to be in the spirit of light. And everyone else can know that means you're struggling with something. And we can say, right, I'm going to pray that you would know the presence of God right here, right now. And please do not dismiss my words. It upsets me greatly when I see people run from God when it's at the very point they need him. Do you know, I feel so often I'm preaching to the choir. And I'm like, the people that needed to hear this message, not this message today, but the message that I'm speaking, you know, they, they're not here because they're afraid of hearing the message. It just upsets me greatly. I've seen young people turn away from God. I've seen adults turn away from God. I've seen all kinds. I've seen leaders turn away from God. And it upsets me greatly because actually it's the very moment they turn from God. It's the very moment they need him most. When did Adam and Eve need God most? When they were tempted to eat the fruit. That's when they needed God. What would this story look like if Adam and Eve just said, I'm sorry, serpent, I just need to pray for a second. God, please help me. And God was there. The serpent wouldn't be able to stand in the presence of the Lord. Let us be a people, please. Where we say, you know what? I'm running to the house of God. I'm running to the spirit of life. Let me pray. Paul, can I ask you to come back up? Just have the guitar. Just mix it up. Just close your eyes for a second. Just give yourself a moment of breath. I realize there's a lot in there. I hope some of that seeped into your life.